Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. <laughs> Tonight, we got them. Goldie and the Sulk. This is a chemical, chemical, disgusting, 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 And it starts right now. <laughs> oh, still love that intro. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of A Typical Disgusting Display with Goldie and the Sulk. We are joined, as always, by our talented and lovely producer, JC. Hello. Hello. Private joke, Goldie, <laughs> don't join in. Um, before we get started today, I just have to throw in a quick victory lap over something we talked about last week, and I think you guys might know why. We talked about our top five most boring athletes. I thought we all had pretty compelling lists, but you guys, especially you, Goldie, came down on me hard about Kareem, who I find very boring. Yeah. And then over the course of the week, I found exhibits A through Z <laughs> and sent them to both of you, yeah, which yeah. is... If you're out there listening, Google this, you will laugh and be amazed. It is Kareem's highlight, in quotes, video entitled Sky Hookin' from NBA Superstars Volume 1, a great tape where they play set pop music to uh, players' highlights. Of, but for Kareem, they wrote an original song, which is always death, called Sky Hookin', in parentheses, Captain's So Happy. <laughs> and I sent this video to you. And JC, what did you text back? Do you remember? I said I couldn't pay attention past 20 seconds or something. That's right. <laughs> it was so boring. And I'm, I'm disappointed that you didn't watch further because had you watched a minute further, you would have seen the portion of the video where Kareem is superimposed in an animated purple biplane and flies through his own video highlights. It was boring, and I consider that a microphone dropson yes. on that on that topic. And Goldie, I don't care if you got fourth place at the county debate fair. I think fair. I just well, you're shitting all over Kareem. Yeah, uh -huh. start the podcast. You didn't even say a podcast by writers for writers who hate writing. Yes. You totally fucked up the one thing you had to do to just take I this. I don't to always take say this non-victory lap. No one is in the stadium. Yeah, just the, like when the trophies when Larry have Bird gone out. Like... There's there's nothing to give you. There's no victory to be had no. by, by you going. I swear, I found a YouTube clip. Did you show the clip? No. What do you mean, did I show it? Well, you know, other podcasts, they have a way of rolling things in. I don't yeah, know. Maybe you could have spent all week figuring that this out. This is Jim. radio. This is radio, my friend. And we nobody wants to sit through that entire song. Trust me. We will lose 
we will be down to 60 downloads this week if we do that. <laughs> um, anyway, that's my little thing about Kareem. I think he's boring. I thought that video confirmed it. Maybe the debate rages on. Uh, Goldie, we talked a little bit during the week and you had a kind of a, a funny observation about something that's not so funny in the news. Yeah, well, we're obviously living through peak coronavirus paranoia and it just seems like every day there's some new way of twisting the knife to just keep us all scared look of course i'm vaccinated we're i think we're all vaccinated yes. oh yeah uh, i'm i believe dr fauci etc cetera, etc cetera. but one of the ways there is, they seem to be trying to scare us is uh these headlines that say um and they're running out of space in the morgues oh. <laughs> the morgues are running out of space. Yes. They can't handle any more dead bodies. And so the more I see this, the more I wonder, like, okay, so when you open up a morgue, <laughs> yeah, sure, don't you does. plan for success? Don't you go, you know, hopefully there'll be a pandemic. A lot of people will be dying. So let's build this out in the event that there is a disaster are, are you building a morgue going like we'll never be able to handle more than two people at once first joke like, of the day first joke of the day every supermarket has like a three football field size freezer where they keep ice cream buy that and stack be ready believe in yourself you can be successful morgue people I mean, what did you have the funniest comparison to the body start coming in and... Oh, I don't remember. You'll have to refresh it's, my memory. It's Lucy and Ethel in the candy oh, yeah. line. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Right, exactly. When the dead bodies start coming in, they're just instantly flummoxed and can't handle it. Yeah. yeah. Lucy but and that, Ethel. But also, okay, say the morgues do run out of space. Oh, my God. The morgues are out of space. These people are already dead. Who cares if they get hot? At that point. So they smell bad. A lot of stuff smells bad. And, and it's not like they're preserving them for an autopsy. They died of COVID. We right. know Who that. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Why like am I any... supposed to worry about what happens after I dead my my body storage till they get to me? I'm dead. <laughs> it would be a good time to, like in a movie, to commit like a weird murder that resembled COVID so nobody would question it. Oh, yeah. Ooh. That would be a good starting yeah, point. Yeah, that would me. be. Yeah, good luck. Get to work on that. Is that yeah, right. I hate writing. Years of your life. <laughs> Remember what I forgot to say three minutes ago? I, I'm, I'm having writer. problems in Act Two when the morgue yeah. is overflowing. Um, oh. Sort of. You're assuming that I would get to Act Two, which I appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> it would just be, as we know, the Wellesley Wild story, blinking cursor. It would just be a blank page story. with a blinking <laughs> cursor. Uh, our friend, uh, very talented Wellesley Wild, uh, blinks a lot. And he swears a lot. So sometimes we called him the blinking cursor. Oh, I like it. Um, anyway, yes, that point about morgues is is just yeah, no, pun, lot, no pun intended, dead on. There are a lot of scary <laughs> things going on, but that's not one of them. No, I'm not. I'm not sitting up, <laughs> bolting upright in the middle of the night saying, the morgue. <laughs> oh, no. Where are these dead people going to go? Uh, yeah. Anyway, well, and, and a terrible segue department, and and we move on to something that is legitimately sad. Um, uh, Norm Macdonald died yesterday. Okay, so I'm assuming anyone who would be listening to this knows who Norm Macdonald is, but if you don't, he was the 
Saturday Night Live weekend anchor in the mid-90s, fantastic stand-up, starred in a bunch of movies, and probably the greatest talk show guest of all time. Like, certainly on the Mount Rushmore of talk show guests, along with, like, Charles Grodin and, like, Jonathan Winters or something, Rodney. But what a, a blow. Like, it, it, it was a surprise to everyone because I guess he had cancer and he was keeping it a secret and he had been battling it for a while. Um, but I had no idea, not that I, he knows me personally, but he was keeping in touch with me about his medical condition, but I didn't know. And it was one of those kind of deaths that when I saw it on Instagram, um, it, it took my breath away a little bit. Like I could not believe it. I was so sad. Um, I, I don't know about you, Goldie, but sometimes when I'm fantasizing about like, people listening to this podcast or people ever giving me some kind of positive comedy feedback, I still think of Norm a lot. Even though, you know, I, I worked with him briefly, as did you, and we were both at Saturday Night Live when he was there. I, oh, wow. He maybe back then he wouldn't have been able to pick us out of a lineup. I think he gradually became slightly aware of who we were as we, you know, actually had careers. But I do picture not me. Norm, not me. No, he. I'm sure he does. He, he, I picture him in particular in my mind as somebody who I would want to be praised by because he's. We worship him. I mean, he's he's the king, one of the funniest people ever, and uh, you know, it's sad that he's gone. He gone. Yeah, I think. On a, <laughs> no, I don't know. No, that we get a, he no. gone for no How? How? Oh my! Dare God. you? I, and by, by the way, I love the balls that that took. That, I waited. What, I you waited. Know what? Leave that in. It's for. I Norm. saw her finger no. hovering over I the went, button for do a I do it? three minutes. What do I do? Oh, you guys way, aren't helping me. Norm might uh, appreciate oh. the fact that we she knew she was sitting that. on a winner, and oh, the giddiness of so... watching you and at your most solemn, going, "He was only." <laughs> She was only 15 and and then seeing her in the other window, suppressed grin, finger over he gone button. Oh my uh, that, God. That's a perfect tribute though, oh. because that, that's who Norm was, right? It, it, it it's is. Like it's a this, perfect tribute. This and mix of the profound yeah. and profane. Um, yes. You know, the, the ability to just cut through all the noise with the perfect hammer blow. Oh, absolutely. Um, the 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 anticipation he he would create with his setups that oh. oftentimes extending them to tantric levels. Yes, absolutely. And then always delivering with the blow, you know, and I had um obviously like you I I I just shared a reverence for him going back to weekend update and and the funniest host ever and then you look back what he was fired for, which was his refusal oh. to stop making jokes that O.J. Simpson had oh, killed I didn't his wife. Know that. Yes, yeah, Wait, because one of the Don, top executives, uh, let's Don say it, Olmeyer, it's Don Olmeyer, oh, exactly, I'll say it. <laughs> was was O.J.'s golfing buddy, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so wow, he, I had no idea. Yeah, and so he'd asked Norm repeatedly to stop, and Norm refused because. By the way, Norm, obviously Norm was right. And his, you know, Don Olemeyer is now on the wrong side of history of yeah, that completely. Right. But Norm's 
like it had it been me I, I don't know about you goldie because i feel like you're a little bit more principled like norm with this kind of stuff had it been me in the in the weekend update chair and donald lemire had called me once and said stop making jokes about oj i would have been like okay never <laughs> you would have never heard one more oj joke out of me i'd be like i like my job thank you but oj was the biggest story at the time he couldn't avoid yeah it. Couldn't and, i mean it's it's hard to go back and imagine the magnitude pre-internet of how one story and only getting daily or bi-daily doses of it could really keep everyone hooked to talking about it in, in this national zeitgeisty way, which yes. I feel we don't really have anymore. Um, no. Yeah. And But the point being that that was also a time when Weekend Update really mattered and was sort of a definitive conclusion on the news of the week and like the final statement as opposed to yes. now where Twitter, everyone's running all day and you're getting yeah. take after take after take and people repeating yes. it and analyzing it, and retweeting and whatever. It was like, this was the definitive take and Norm was nailing it in his oh, prime. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. You know, he, and not, not to shit on Colin Jost, although I would. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> he might like it. <laughs> but it, it it really mattered and it and he did an incredible job and and you know it's it, it's it's funny going through these tributes where everyone is kind of taking pride in the fact that they were the type of person who got norm yes like they would be I like a Which lot of the tributes I'm, I'm hearing are like you know, it's really hard to make me laugh. And it's like, okay, yeah. you can stop right. congratulating it's yourself about already. You. It's, it's very difficult to make me laugh. I'm almost, uh, you You almost need a PhD in comedy. I know. To I make know. someone as, as brilliant as me cackle. I, I, I have sort of this impeccable judgment that very few things can pierce and and it takes really high levels of expertise and if i if there's one person who's more of an expert in humor than me it was norm so he made me laugh so the, yeah. but the fact that's, is is that's is, how high a bar we're clearing yeah. me yeah because me bar. i could get norm i you wouldn't you millions yeah but the, the point being that you know we talk about success in comedy and we all would kill each other to have it yeah but what success second. looks like isn't everyone loves you success looks like 50 percent of people love you and 50 percent hate you that's complete success yes that you've yeah. mattered because yes. you're pissing off the right people Totally. And then you're making other people feel special for getting you. Yeah, that's oh. amazing. He and he was just I'm trying to think of a, just a couple specific norm stories. Again, he would not have been able to pick me out of a lineup when I worked there. I'm not one of those people like the norm I knew. <laughs> I'm so gracious hanging out. It, it was not that. I was lucky enough to be a literal fly on the wall uh, in the Saturday Night Live writers room where we've all been and it's yeah. very exciting uh, i believe and this is one of those things that i've heard the story so many times and i believe that i had a front row seat for it when norm who smoked famously and perhaps mm -hmm. that had something to do with his demise who knows but he he smoked long past the time when it was okay to like smoke inside an office yeah and uh there, there was another writer there who goldie and i have worked with named uh, ian maxstone graham who incredibly nice funny guy like just a great guy but he's also like a weird brilliant as well brilliant yeah. brilliant he's also like a six six 
freak athlete alien, like deep sea kayaker, crazy kind of all this, you know, hyper athletic guy. And I I once saw him shirtless on the beach and it took my breath away. (laughs) (laughs) And then he dove in the water and swam away like a dolphin. It was incredible. I picture him with a total Aquaman, kind of like the professional swimmers when they go under the water and they do that like yes. 10 seconds of like <laughs> yes. this before they he come up. He kicked his legs twice and went over the horizon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, we, he, he worked with us on dads, uh, not to smear him. But, uh, he, uh, so, but he was right. People realize he was also a garbage man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, he was a writer on Saturday Night Live for quite a while. And when Norm was there, so Norm's smoking in the office, Ian doesn't want to be anywhere neat in the same uh, zip code as a cigarette. He's that healthy and good for him. Uh, so Norm's sitting there smoking a cigarette and Ian asks him to put it out and Norm refuses. So then I believe how it went was Ian threw a cup of water oh. on Norm's cigarette and in Norm's face and Norm got up and punched Ian. Oh. And I believe that I was sitting right there for that. So that was an incredible Norm moment, not necessarily of him being funny or being right, but certainly being divisive and sticking to his guns. I also remember um, we used to play like touch football in the elevator bank area. On 17? uh, On 17. And just like, it's a kind of a narrow hallway, but you can sort of, it's just like a decent like six yard zone to play in there. And Norm would play. He liked playing. And... There was a kid who was an intern at that time, and it he grew up to be Wyatt Senak, you know, the comedian Ooh. that everybody loves, and he's Mr. Hot Button. But I saw a, a pickup football game there where Norm gave a little cheap shot to Wyatt Senak <laughs> in the game, and Wyatt Senak freaked out on like a 12-year-old level. Like, he was like screaming at Norm through tears and everybody was very uncomfortable. So another another divisive, nice, sweet Norm moment. I'm saving some for later in the show. But uh, I, I, Norm was, you know, his, as you said, when Weekend Update mattered, he delivered in a way like I, if we're not doing top fives of this, but he's my number one all-time Weekend Update guy. Uh, Dennis Miller was great, and I put him second, but I put Norm first because Norm told even harder jokes, didn't seem to have like like the smirk, like aren't I smart that Dennis Miller had, right. even though Dennis was great. Like Norm just sat out there with that devilish, impish look in his eye and delivered the jokes straight. And the harder they were, the better, you know, he was at delivering them. Oh, he and was the best. At that. He was the best. Yeah. unequivocally and i mean i i was a page at snl so i was not nearly on the radar as prominently as you i mean i was yeah but you had that hair back then donkey. i think people remembered you i know i had huge hair but then once um oh god what was her? anna gasteyer came on uh Kilborn and we did five questions and three of us came out on the stage and Kilborn, the question was, which of these three people was a page when you were on SNL? Oh, that's amazing. And she picked the wrong person. Oh, no, of course. <laughs> and did they have a picture of you from what you looked like back then? Well, I was closer to looking what I looked like back then oh, yeah. when we yes. did the bit on Kilborn in right, you right. know, 2003. I, I, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't give uh, Brian McAloon the credit to have that photo ready. Right. Also, <laughs> uh, I, I, I would, but, uh, that says more but, about uh, her you than know, you. One of the, 
when I was a page on SNL, so, you know, I, I revered Norm. I didn't really have much contact with him. Um, but then when I moved out and I got the job on Kilborn, uh, we had this late, late show basketball team. We were in a league and it, it was kind of fun. You know, different yeah. shows had different teams. And then there was also like, you know, Mike's traffic school would have a team right. and they would be Tough. a lot better than us. Yes. And so I, one of the things I remember was one, it was like Han Kook tires or Mike's traffic school. It, there was one game where they had Keith Kloss show up and play for them. And Keith Kloss was a seven foot six second string center on the Los Angeles Clippers for a while. So like there's, you know, a bunch of pasty writers warming up on one end and then Keith Kloss on the other end, seven, six. Anyway, dunking, standing up. But, but one of the moments I felt like I had made it was we were playing some team and Norm was on the other team. And, uh, you know, you said in this football game, like he's, he, he had a lot of elbows yeah, and he yeah, yeah. Sharp didn't elbows. hesitate to throw them around <laughs> and he almost broke my thumb in just a skirmish over the ball and I remember I wasn't even mad I was like oh my god you know three years ago I was maybe getting this guy coffee and now he's almost breaking my thumb in a pickup <laughs> game and I'm a writer I've made it and what then a privilege. later on through uh, our friend Mike Gibbons I had a, a dinner with Norm where it was mm. me and our friend Kevin Biggins and cool. Mike Gibbons. And, awesome. and it's funny because last night I was I was trying to think of memories from that dinner and it was a total blank because I was just so wasted. And uh, I texted our friend Kevin Biggins and he was like, I think we talked about Charles Manson a lot. Um, and then I texted Mike Gibbons and he said, I don't remember that dinner at all. So <laughs> that's what I would have said. <laughs> you know, it's it is funny because I remember at the time going like I'm having dinner with my idol Norm McDonald. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got to remember everything about this dinner, and now all I can remember is like he looks pretty puffy, but he doesn't drink. That's weird. <laughs> I, I was wasted. So uh, sorry, I can't come up. With oh, what, what a great eulogy that was. <laughs> you looked puffy. Uh, but we loved him. Uh, no, he was the best. We're we're very sad he's gone. And uh, we're going to roll into our, our Johnny Jokes uh, section of the show, but we're going to change it up a little this week. And uh, Goldie, at your suggestion, we, we spoke last night and you said, hey, what if what if we just write these jokes and deliver them as norm and more norm style as opposed to Johnny Carson style. And I instantly was like, no, I don't want to because I had 10 Johnny jokes that I had written over the last week. I'm like, I want to tell these. Selfish baby. I know the guy died and I was like, Ugh. and so anyway, no, I, we'll I have a lot of chances to do this. He's going to be dying a lot. So we but, just <laughs> he, can he die jokes. again next week? Uh, well, with the morgue overfull, they may have to bring him back to life. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I'm, I'm really worried about that for him. <laughs> uh, yeah, was Norm just going to be lying up on a pile of bodies? I mean, the, the nerve of dying from non-COVID when the morgues are already so <laughs> They're taxed. They're taxed. They're bursting at the seams. Um, but anyway, we're going to do Johnny jokes this week in the style of Norm. And this is a good point for writers. Again, this was 12 hours ago that we decided this. So... We, we hustled to write yes. these jokes, uh, and we got them done for Norm. Here we go. Let's cue the music. All right. All right. Here's Norm. <laughs> <laughs> Great, solid introduction. 
solid introduction. Okay, so and I'll I'll just warn our our listeners and and you JC, not that you would necessarily care that that Norm okay. uh, tend to be his jokes tended to be a little harder, a little meaner, and uh, some of mine are are kind of yanked out of the '90s, so they they're not as woke as they might be. Okay. So, uh, so you're you're trying to avoid any uh, personal responsibility for these? Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds like some other guy's fault. All I right. don't want I don't want to get. Uh, Canceled. Yeah, yeah. What they say canceled. Like, what? What am I? Cable. All right, here we go. That was terrible. All right. Two former top aides of Donald and Melania Trump have released tell-all memoirs about the former first couple. While this may seem like a betrayal, of one thing I'm sure: top aides are still way better than bottom aides. Okay. <laughs> We wrote them in 12 hours. Right. I, I like it. I'm distracted because uh, my neighbor is having a new roof put on during the podcast. I hear, Actually, I hear that. Actually, so am I in the background. There's beeping coming everywhere. All right. What the fuck is that? All right. Here we go. Uh, here's a longer one. You <laughs> wouldn't say that. All right. The famed Met Gala was held last weekend in New York City. And Representative Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez wore a dress with the words tax the rich across her backside. Not to be outdone, Oprah Winfrey wore a dress with the words support a woman's right to choose, call the Texas state legislature and demand change. The main number is 547-268-8990, extension 804. He would fetch uh, people. I, I, I love, I, I love it. Right, thank you. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, well, Governor Gavin Newsom has defeated Republican challenger Larry Elder in this week's California recall election. You know, it's like my pappy always said: respect your Newsoms. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have one good out of the whole thing. I like thing. it. No, these are all good. These are all, all right, good. Here, here we go. Last one. <clears throat> this is a very, very normy. I tried to make it here. Okay. Time Magazine has released their new issue listing the 100 most influential people in the world. The list includes President Biden, Prince Harry, and Billie Eilish. The world's least influential people for the 30th year in a row Dirty crack whores. <laughs> Very normal. I didn't know if you were going there. Frank Stallone. Oh, Frank Stallone. That would have worked too. Uh, all right. Second norm. Take it away. Okay. That was great. Great job. Uh, great thank job. You. Thank you great very job. much. Legit. As me. <laughs> me just telling you great job. Oh, wow. Oh, just tell all me. All right. I'm here we go. Again. Here we go. Nicki Minaj <laughs> tweeted she won't take the COVID-19 vaccine because it made her cousin's friend's testicles swell up and he went impotent. Well, personally, if I'm Nicki Minaj, I'm more worried that I have testicles. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh, one for right. one. One for one. Okay. Clint Eastwood is now 91 years old, 
And in his new movie about to be released, he throws a punch and rides a horse. Yeah, it's a really impressive performance. And there's already buzz that he'll win the Motion Picture Academy's coveted Death Time Achievement Award. (laughs) (laughs) I love the impersonation, too. It's great. In the spirit of Norm, it's not a one-to-one. Yeah, it's it's off kilter to some extent. Sure, I love it. Okay. Because of COVID-19, intensive care units all across America are running out of beds. Crazy thought, switch to bunk beds. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great norm joke. (laughs) All right. Uh, I could... I could see him looking off angrily after some of these, like he did when a joke wouldn't do well. He just look at the writer. Yeah, clearly. these are all cut and dress. No, 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 no. That, that they're all in. All right. This is the last one. <clears throat> the Borneo Orangutan Survival Foundation has rescued Pony, an orangutan who was being used as a prostitute. It's a horrible story. For twenty dollars. They'd let people have sex with her. And for an extra 10, you wouldn't have to have sex with an orangutan. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great, great. Maybe we do that like like a couple times a year and just remember it's because it's so fun. It's so So, fun. I love that. Great. Boy, what a great suggestion, Goldie. Can you imagine how much fun it must have been to be that guy? Oh, and to, be, and to just to keep kill. doing that over and <laughs> to over. To be able to do that. I know, over. just to have that delivery. I love, I mean, to have that it, voice. I mean, I would just be like, I'm having, uh, my thoughts are all in this voice. I know. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm thinking like this all the time. He, uh, his, his, uh, God, his, why, where's my eggs? <laughs> <laughs> just everything. You would be laughing. All the time, <laughs> just every situation. Man, that guy's honking his horn. <laughs> he uh, his last appearance on Letterman before Letterman retired. Fantastic stand-up set. Fantastic, and uh, he's that great joke about. Uh, he's talking about everybody's scared in North Korea. He's like, uh, it's not really the country that wakes me up in the middle of the night. Uh, the country that scares me the most is the country of Germany. And then he goes, I don't know if any of you out there are history buffs, uh, but uh, the beginning of the last century, uh, Germany decided to go go to war, and they chose as their opponent the world. <laughs> it's like that had never been done before. You thought it'd be over in like five minutes, but no, it was actually close. It's so funny. Uh, I recommend everybody watch norm's uh last appearance on letterman which is the one where he famously cries at the end and i was a sucker for that um all right well let's get into this week's theme which is a little more uplifting but norm sort of fits generally in that theme Uh, i don't think that was depressing at all no it wasn't depressing it was it was a celebration of norm's life but this week we wanted to talk about uh goldie you had a better name for it i kept calling it mentors but what, what were you calling it Saviors. Saviors. Yes, that's better. Okay. So these are some people we just want to talk about who have really helped us along the way and kind of been like, at least for me, the people that, and Goldie and I have a few of them in common, probably most of them. They just 
they were just people you looked up to and they helped you. And they, you know, we just kind of want to show them our thanks and appreciation and we'll share uh, some stories about them and, and why they're kind of important to all writers. You know, if you come to Hollywood and you start making it and you, you cobble out a career, you're going to have these people. You're just going to, you don't know who they are yet, but you're going to have them. And then they're just going to be like really important parts of your life. So, by the way, this is in no way related to Norm dying suddenly, which it seems like it's like better yeah. fit these in with these people. <laughs> oh, well, it was something we were planning, yes. <laughs> right? No, for this a couple in, weeks. Yeah, this is in That's no way point. we th- we think we're going to lose them next week, no. <laughs> right? Which yeah. I I just realized it seems. Yeah, like it does kind of seem that way. Ahead. Yes, so but I think I just want to add to what you said that yes, if, please. You're going to have to have someone reach a hand down off the lifeboat and pick you up out of the water. I mean, almost no one does it alone. And so it's it's a little instructive, too, in that the people that we're about to mention would have their own stories about other people who did this for them. And those totally. people would have yeah. other people who That's did it for them. important to know. Yeah. All yeah. the way back to Louis B. Mayer, <laughs> Chaplin. <laughs> Louis B. Mayer. Aristophanes. Oh, he he had a helping hand. I'm trying to think of some other old guy. But I keep thinking of Odysseus. Fictional. Oh, Shakespeare. Please. Are you kidding me? He He had a tutor. Operate in a vacuum. Shakespeare had a tutor, but that was just his house. Hey, everyone. (laughs) I'm getting a Johnny joke in there somehow. Um, All right. So. I, the first person I want to talk about, and Goldie, we can both talk about this guy. We love him, and he gave us both our first job is Craig Kilborn. Um, we've talked about him before on the podcast. He does; he's nice enough to lend us. Oh, we got him to our intro, which we always find hilarious. Um, but for me, you know, I was I had a briefly had a job at Saturday Night Live. I was fired. I was floundering in New York doing stand up, which we talked about I think last week which was just awful, awful, and making zero Even money. Even worse for the audience. Worse. It <laughs> was just bad for everyone. <laughs> everyone involved has PTSD from, uh, from that. Um, that sounds like an Italian stand-up, PTSD. There you go. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so he was served in the war. Here's an Afghan veteran, PTSD. Uh, all right, you're going up after uh, PTSD. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then Tom Van Voorhees and then uh, Arthur. Um, Anyway, so yes, Craig Kilborn, uh, I submitted a pack to him with, again, I could talk about Wellesley in this segment. I I already shit on him blinking a lot, so I might as well mention that Wellesley was the one, uh, my friend Wellesley Wilde, who I became writing partners with later, I went to college with him, but he was the one who reached down and said, take a look at my friend Alex Packett because he was hired on the show before I was. And so literally we ended up moving out within a week of each other, which was fantastic, obviously, and the thrill of getting your first job. But Craig himself was incredibly nurturing to to me. And maybe it was because, and I know you are too, Goldie, we're both sports fans. I don't think there were too many of the writers who were, were as into sports as you and I are, were, and he certainly is. But he was just, he was like your buddy. He was really funny and he wasn't, he just wasn't an asshole to us. And, and when he, at times when he was an asshole or impatient, like that was just, listen, anyone would be like that 
in, in through all those endless uh, rehearsals and just the drudgery of a day to day uh, talk show. But he was to to say yes to both of us was really the thing that made our whole careers possible. And who knows where that yes would have come from, or if it would have ever come if it didn't if it didn't happen when it did for us with Craig. So I just you know I want to say thank you to Craig. Boy, he gave me like three incredibly fun years with him, and uh, he still makes me laugh. He's still so it funny. It was unmatched how fun those years were. And totally. I, I was in even a worse situation than you when I was hired there. I was 29 years old, living in New York. You know, I'd been making a go from comedy and horrible temp jobs. Had credit card debt. Had just gone through the process of being rejected by John Stewart's Daily Show. Like, had written two packets over there. And you and I know there, there are not a lot of jobs in New York. No. So I felt kind of washed. Like, I felt like, oh man, stand-up appears to be going nowhere. I'm going to turn 30 in a couple months. Right. Um, and maybe this isn't going to work out. And then when I got the call that Kilborn had hired me... Um, which I want to do a little in here, thanks to you. Oh, I was going to save this the... for the end, but I'll just do it here. So it won't we've be been a, we've been over this. We've been over but this. You Goldman. you were the one who you know brought me to the attention of Mike Gibbons. Thanks to Mike mm-hmm. in here as well, yeah. uh, who was you know Gibby. when I showed up and I I was just so out of sorts because my life had shifted so quickly. He really nurtured me and made sure I was comfortable there. That's and amazing. a lot of t- afternoons, I would like lie on his couch and talk to him literally like therapy. Um, <laughs> and he would just, he was always like a couple years ahead of me, like married, had been working a while and would just, you know, shepherd me through these things. But this is so, Mike, Gib- Mike Gibbons you're talking about. Mike Gibbons. Yes. That's right. yes Did yeah, I not yeah. say that? No, no, no. Yeah. You said you him, but I, I got lost in there as to whether you were talking about Craig or Mike Gibbons. But, no, uh, I'm talking about Mike Gibbons. I'll get back to you in a second. <laughs> um, yeah, Jesus, when do I come in again? So when I found out I got hired by Kilborn, I had gone with a friend to go see The Kid Stays in the Picture, the Robert Evans documentary. Which Great documentary. I've never seen it. Great and documentary. I knew that that was the day that they were going to make a verdict on me. So I had my uh, sort of 90s flip cell phone with me. Yeah. Um, and it started buzzing in the middle of the movie and I looked down and I saw it was a 323 area code oh. and I was like I mean it this still gives it. me goosebumps where oh, I was like Danny. oh my god my oh. life my I got, I got about goosebumps just thinking about it <laughs> we were never it. gonna get the timing of that right were we? <laughs> I gotta put it where I can find it better <laughs> JC here's a little tip if you ever hear the word goosebumps, goosebumps. <laughs> I was like oh and one of my favorite authors is R.L. Stein, of course, and his series. Yeah, I got goosebumps just thinking about it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my but, God. I just, so anyway, I, I fly out to L.A. having gotten this job. I know you and Wellesley and our friend John Viner, who wasn't invited to be part of this podcast. <laughs> That's the first time um, you said it. <laughs> I have never had a writing job. And, and you're right, Craig... I, I will say it wasn't just because we shared affinity for sports that he liked us, because there were plenty of people who were always trying to kiss his butt by going like, hey, Craig, some game last night, huh? What about the Lakers? And he didn't seem to like that at all. I think he just, at his core, like he's a very good looking, handsome 
guy. Yes. Has some el- old school elegance, you know, classic broadcaster. Yeah. But at his core, there's a comedy nerd there. Yes. And at, yes. His, at his core, there's a there's a in person. He is one of the funniest people I've ever met. Like just in conversation, it's joke after joke after joke, one yeah. liner, one liner, one liner, anecdote, anecdote, anecdote. And I think he liked the ability of other people to sort of match him and entertain him and he valued that. And so it's funny toward the end, cause I was there when he left as well, which was very suddenly, um, it came as a surprise to all of us. Yeah. But you could tell he was getting disenchanted and it, it used to be, I would get called in his office around somewhere between 10 and 1130 to talk about that day's show and Mike Gibbons and I would sit there with him and there'd be an hour of talk and then we'd get to the show. Yeah. And he would hilariously curl a 20-pound dumbbell like three times as he talked to us <laughs> and then lie back That's down. Funny. But as, as it, it got to what would turn out to be his end, you could see he just wasn't as into it anymore. And so we were no longer meeting his office at 11 or so, but he would call me at 1 and say, Hey, Goldie meet me in the parking lot and I'd meet him and he had this awesome Mercedes and he'd go get in. And then we would just drive a square from Fairfax to La Brea while we listened to Barry Manilow for two hours. And And he was just so hilarious in these drives. And he would be like, Oh, Mandy, I'm a copa. (laughs) <laughs> but he would he would love to point out modulation. Oh, listen to the modulation here. Like when when somebody would build yes. to yes. a different key, he loved yes. that. Like that was one of that. his yes. favorite things. Like I remember he would just relish it. He did he did that with me with it at the time the song that he loved was that new radical song you've got the music in you. Don't yeah. let go. You've got the music in you. Da da da. <laughs> But like he used to love yeah. to have the, the top I can't down. even tell you how many times we listened to Al Stewart's Year of the Cat. I love that song too. It's a great song, song which he introduced song. me to. Me too. And then he I... had a corresponding anecdote about the song. Yeah, but and it's some funny. roommate he had had who he's like, you know, the, the first time we uh <laughs> the Kilby's becoming the norm. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. He, it was basically that he had this roommate who had gone to see Al Stewart at like the Coliseum, and the next time he'd gone to see him a year later, it was at the Greek, and the next time he'd gone to see him a year later, it was at the Wiltern, and then a year after that, it was at McCabe's Guitar Shop. <laughs> 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 Nothing ever happened for Al Stewart, but Craig is a fountain of these incredibly specific stories and a sensibility that no one else has totally that he just i mean relentlessly in a funny way pounds into and it's he's one of the great hangs of all time i i couldn't agree more and oh the thing i would be remiss if i did not point out in terms of his generosity so you know like i said he's a good looking guy with the sensibility of someone who looks like me which is a great package Right. But he was so generous about putting people like you and I on the air. Oh, all the time. And toward the end, awesome. even giving me a lot of freedom to do things like go to the NBA dunk contest. Wow. Got me on the floor of the dunk contest. What? Oh. And then who won was, that year? It was Fred Jones. Oh. Oh my God. Because I did a bit that. where 
I dressed as a Supreme Court justice and went down <laughs> I love it to the already. court. And so then I, I also got access to the locker room and I was trying to interview these guys and it was going nowhere. So at one point, the thing he loved, which I said, I'm, I'm just going to pretend to be British and not understand anything about basketball and go That's in funny. and try to interview them again. And so you could see they were confused because I had been asking them questions. And then 10 minutes later, I show up and I'm like, and, and as your midair. <laughs> what goes through your mind as you're just floating? You know, I, so he, he loves that. that shit. And, he loves and that. One of, I, and one of the great regrets of my career is I, what I was going to do. Because, again, it was like pre it, the internet being big and pre everyone yeah. having security around everything and being so diligent about access. Right. I'm just in the locker room. And, I, and one of the things I intended to do was just take a shower. Uh, that would have been great and i i was just so close to stripping down and doing it oh that would have been great and i just lost the nerve yeah i I could see i could see losing that nerve too but that is a very funny idea (laughs) god but i i feel like god my my career would have gone a different direction you know, had I done that, it's like that was the guy who took the shower. I mean, <laughs> and it might have gone a horrible guy. direction right. where they go. You know, he's not allowed to do anything because he showed his penis in an NBA locker room. Or it would be he went in front of, you know, all these NBA players and just took a shower and pretended to cry. Oh, God. <laughs> pretended to cry. That would have been great. And do you remember, I'm sure you must have been a part of this too. I, I, he must have kept it going. Um, the, um, the post-show hallway news conference. Yes. Yes. Oh, Though, he good. used to do this thing, which was such a funny-eyed, simple idea uh, that he would come out, you know, after the show. But it was, it was, you know, still a couple minutes left in the show. And there would just be cameras in the hallway. like, And there were three of us writers waiting to interview him about the show. And he would do like a – almost like a coach after a game would kind of debrief about it. But he insisted – and this was so key to the whole thing – he insisted on not knowing the questions, so it was not rehearsed, and all of his reactions were genuine. So I remember I did it with me, Steve Barker, if you remember him. He was mm-hmm. a very funny guy, always had a cigarette in hand, uh, older guy. And I can't remember who the third was. I think Gibbons came in there at some point, but we would just spring these questions on him, and the whole goal was just to make each other laugh. And so there were so many of them where I, I remember – there was this NBA story uh, that Goldie will remember. There was a coach and player named Rudy Tomjanovich, who I think he's dead. But uh, he, there was one game where there was one game where there was a fight on the court, and Rudy Tomjanovich was just sort of blindly running around, and this other player named Kermit Washington just decked him, cold cocked him when he wasn't looking, and it it shattered his whole face. He was like almost dead. I'm only interrupting you because Kilborn would love this stuff. What I think happened was Rudy Tomjanovic was running to like break up the fight, and he happened to run run into Kermit Washington's fist as he punched (laughs) him, which caused the shattering. Like it was this horrible coincidental thing that also kind of ruined Kermit Washington's life. Yes, wow. it did. And 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 Tom Janovich was almost dead and had yeah. to have his whole face reconstructed and then ultimately became the coach of the uh, Houston Rockets. So one one oh, of these surprise funny. press one of these post-game press conferences, I one my question to Kilborn was um 
do you think Rudy Tomjanovich is finally ready to apologize to Kermit Washington? Greg <laughs> had to tur- he did this thing where he would just turn away, you know, like if he was laughing and then he would kind of come, he'd be like, next question, you know, like you just kind of plow through it. It is funny because he had this, he has this, God, it's, I say past tense as though like I'm just so in the mode of talking about Norm. Yeah. Uh, he, he has this sort of Midwestern reserve where he didn't want to be seen with an extreme emotion. So if he was <laughs> laughing, yes. he would he would put himself under the desk yes. and yep. turn away. But, yes. Uh, J- Jimmy Kimmel t- told me a hilarious story about Craig, which, so in between, uh, what you see on air, obviously there are commercial breaks built in and, and those are gen- generally, while those happen there are built-in breaks in the taping of the show that are like three minutes and craig had yeah. a little hand mirror and he would always take it out and sort yes. of like look at his teeth and his nose <laughs> yeah. and all this stuff and yeah. it and it, it really in a great way straddled the line between bit and reality absolutely <laughs> which is 100%. Just a, that's a killboard trademark it's just yeah. like is the whole thing a bit is right. it real it's great <laughs> so kimball told me the story of he said yeah you know the first time i went on there and and there's this commercial break. I don't know him very well. And and he says to me, uh, Jimmy, I'm thinking of getting an, a new car. What do you think I should get? You know, we talk about cars. We have a pretty good, genuine conversation. And then he's like, so then I'm on again two years later. It's commercial break. We're just sitting there. I don't know him that well still. And he turns to me and says, Jimmy, I'm thinking of getting a new car. What do you think I should get? Like he, he was just saying that to everyone when he didn't feel like making conversation. Ah, that's great. I'd never heard that. That's awesome. All right. Well, yeah. so Craig, congratulations. You're you're on our list of big thank yous for our, yes. our careers. Saved thank my you. life. Yes. And, uh, and I've mine. told you that before. I know you're I know you're hiding your face. Now, yeah, you're, you're, genu- <laughs> yeah. you're genuinely embarrassed, but thank you, you know because he's he's consulting his basketball encyclopedia to see if uh, Chris Gamble ever had a fifty point game. <laughs> it was another big thing that he liked to play. Um, is it Chris Gamble or Kevin Gamble? Kevin, um, Kevin Gamble. God damn. Highest shooting percentage one year. He shot about seventy percent. Yeah, he was a wow. scorer. He could pour it in. Um, so let's move from Craig, and and obviously we can talk about anyone we want. But the next person I wanted to highlight. And I know you've worked with him too, Goldie, so you can just speak to what a great guy he is, is Mike Scully. Uh, we've talked about him on the show before. He was uh, he ran The Simpsons for over a decade and when it was great. And uh, he gave me my first uh, sitcom job. So when Wellesley and I were leaving The Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn because we wanted to get into the sitcom world, he said yes to, you know he he gave us a job when that was not a definite thing at all we did not have a ton of prospects and there just weren't that many you know it was just the three network days four network days really yeah um so there weren't that many options everybody was going for a job on the same like six shows that were being made that season and he gave us a chance and his writer's room could not have been more nurturing. Like I've never seen, I mean, before there wasn't much, but since a writer's room that was, everyone was really invested in, in everyone being funny. Like there was, there was no jealousy. There was no resentment. There was no older guys making the younger guys shut up or feel bad. It was like, if you're funny and can make us laugh and can help with this thing, great, please do that. You know, we want that. 
Um, and Mike was just the nicest. Not only was is he deadly funny, like he's incredibly funny, and I feel like that often get, doesn't get talked about quite enough because he's such a nice guy, and everyone's like, "Oh, he's the nicest guy," which he is. But he's also just deadly funny. So you have this guy running your show who's given you, given me, a chance at a, at a job, and he's hilarious, and he's nice and kind and generous with everyone. He uh, is supports his writers harder than any showrunner I've ever seen. Certainly harder than I did on Dads. I mean, I threw everyone, including Goldie, under the bus <laughs> minute one that I had the opportunity. But but Scully, it was just so gracious, so kind, so funny, and really everyone top to bottom on that staff just feels that way about him. He is an old school guy in that he would like fight network notes. You know, he would be up in arms about these, who are these suits at the network telling us what's funny. And he was of course right about that, but he was just, he was old school and new school and generous and hilarious. And I, he forever has my thanks and admiration. And I would love to work with him many more times in the future if he's not uh, dying like Norm. Yeah, well, you want to work with him, JC? Yeah, yeah it sounds right? like it. Yeah, he's the greatest guy. Uh, he didn't give me my break, so no, so you have nothing. <laughs> <next>. so, no, <laughs> so you know, we were in that dad's room, which you know is is probably the uh, in Hollywood history, no room has been funnier with a worse result. <laughs> yes, I agree. And, and he so was fun. everything you said, um, and he's so it's it's funny because they're there comes a time in rooms sometimes where all of a sudden it's an actual comedy contest. And the thing I remember was it came down that Dana Walden, who was president of Fox yes. needed jokes a for a wedding toast. And yes. so all of a sudden you're not writing the show anymore. It's just like, Hey, we want to help her out. She's like a really cool person and, you know, paying all our checks and, you know, she's willing to go out there and do jokes. So uh, can you help her out? And, you know, we all want to. And then all of a sudden he starts firing off oh, one-liner was... jokes. Oh. He goes from sort of administrator of the show into like, now we're all just writers again. Yes. And he was on friggin' fire. And I'm, I'm not even sure whether or not to tell the oh. joke that we oh, all tell remember. Them. Tell, tell them. Uh, they were so no, There was a, 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 an executive at Fox who had been... <laughs> Fired for physical violence. Yes. <laughs> he, he, he had forced another uh, executive up against the wall in a fit of anger. Wow. And basically, uh, Mike Scully said that the ceremony was so touching that even this person got a little choked up. <laughs> Which was so great. <laughs> Which was just... We were... and, and, and I think that... And this... I'm pretty sure this was Scully, but the, the marriage was uh, of uh, Howard... Kurtzman. Howard Kurtzman, who's like head of business affairs. He's retired now, I think, but he was head of business affairs at uh, 20th, then 20th. And his wife, Sharon Klein, who's head of casting at 20th. So they're like big deals yeah. at the studio. And 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 Sharon and uh, Dana Walden are, are great friends. So <laughs> Scully wrote a joke also for the toast. I believe it was Scully. Correct me if it was you, Goldie, but... Um, it, it was like something about like yeah it's a it's a it's a special day this is the 
the first time Howard uh, has agreed to back-end participation. <laughs> <laughs> that was not me. I'm no. sure that was Scully. That was so funny. The head yeah. of business affairs agreeing to back-end participation on his wedding night. But oh, it's, all, God. it's also, I mean, he's done so many things for so many people that resulted in nothing for himself. Yeah, that's yes. rare. Like he, when I was trying to make the transition from someone who was a kind of a decently regarded writer internally at the company to they were giving consideration to giving me an overall deal, meaning I'd get to develop my own ideas, my own projects. He, without being asked, emailed Dana Walden out of the blue and just said, hey, I think oh. he has a show in him and you should really wow. give him a shot. Which That's huge. That's why like would a, he do that? That's like than, a, that, that's a million dollar email for you, yeah. by the way. Like that's, that's amazing. That's, yeah. that's so nice. And I'd also like to point out his, his wife, Julie is in the same vein and oh, a yeah. great, hilarious writer and a wonderful person. And they're totally, and uh, yes, and they, they run a lot of shows together and they, both of them, they create such a great atmosphere for wow. writers uh, on their shows. So, I mean, Mike and, Yes, Julie as well. Thank you both. But uh, you guys have been awesome to work with. Thank you for giving me uh, and Wellesley our first real job, you know, at the, in the sitcom world. Um, yes, thank you. Thank you. You helped us. You you extended your arm into the river of muck and, and plucked me out. So thank you, Mike Scully. Uh, somebody else, Goldie, you and I both have had a lot of dealings with this guy and we of course of course and jc now too uh, indirectly mm-hmm. is mr seth mcfarlane mr yep. family guy yeah maybe not oh, we're doing we're doing seth okay, okay. okay. <laughs> but seth late so, edition and so we do, we don't have Danny Smith saying Seth, do we? No. Is that one of the things? Okay, because Danny Smith does a great bit where we used to sit around in the Family Guy uh, writer's room and wait for Seth to get there because he would be a few hours after us because he had other shit to do. And so Danny Smith sits with his back to the main writer's room door and like anytime we were waiting for Seth and somebody would come in the room, he would just turn hopefully and go, Seth? <laughs> but it would never knowing it wasn't him Wait, uh it was very funny so seth and here we go again back to the mike scully connection seth was working on the show that mike scully ran that was my first sitcom job because it was when family guy had been canceled for the second time but fox still had seth on an overall deal and they wanted him to work on a show and so he went to work on this show that mike scully uh ran called the pits so I met Seth in that writer's room. And we're all, you, Goldie, you, me, and Seth are basically the same age. So right away, Seth and I kind of formed uh, a friendship because our, our field of reference is the same, you know, yeah. 80s. And that's, you know, if you've watched Family Guy, you know that references are a lot of what the show is. So Seth and I had the shorthand of being the same age. Uh, we found each other amusing. I, at that point, had never watched Family Guy right. uh, because I was a Simpsons purist. And I was like, I'm screw Family Guy. I'm not watching that. <laughs> uh, but then one night, Seth and I were out at a karaoke club called The Brass Monkey. Great place. And uh, he mentioned to me, he said, you know, they're talking about bringing Family Guy back. 
if they do, I'd, I'd like you to come work there. And of wow. course, my first thought was like, that's never going to happen. Like, why mm-hmm. would they do that? <laughs> Nobody does that. Yeah. And then, of course, it did happen. And I rushed through the DVDs watching every episode that existed. And of course, it's a hilarious show. And and now I, I love it. Yeah. But Seth, you know, first of all, he was already a big deal, even though Family Guy had been canceled twice. He was like the wonderkind at that time, boy wonder who created the show on his kitchen table. And so for, I was just excited that we had even formed any kind of friendship at all. And then for him to say when this show was coming back, like uh, he already had a writer's room that had to be like at least 12 or 15 people when the show uh, was canceled. And so to say to me and Wellesley, like, hey, I want you guys to come over to Family Guy, that's already a big deal because there were a lot of people that had a claim to a seat in that room. And I'm sure, you know, we probably stopped somebody from coming back, uh, although I don't, <laughs> I couldn't think of who that is. Right. But I'd love to get him on. <laughs> I know. I'm sure you hear his, his perspective on this situation. But that's incredibly generous to say like, hey, I've worked with you for a show that really only lasted like half a season, but I want you to come work with us at Family Guy. So of course that set off like the last 17 years. I've basically been there and he yeah. was generous to include Wellesley and I on Ted, which was totally his idea. Like he had the whole kind of idea of Ted all planned out. So to let Wellesley and I help him write that was also incredibly generous and a very helpful thing. And then, of course, that led to the sequel, which, you know, is is what it is. (laughs) And uh, and the Western, which also is what it is, although the Western, I think, is kind of loaded with very funny jokes and gets shit on for unknown reasons. But uh, he's been incredibly generous to me throughout my whole career, continues to give me like chance after chance to do things as Goldie as you know right now I'm working on this uh, Naked Gun reboot oh, cool. um, which going? was which was something that you uh, were were not able to do for various reasons and now it seems like you may have dodged a bullet because I'm on draft number three of it but still very generous <laughs> yeah. of Seth to let me be a part of something that is like a childhood dream of mine to work on Naked Gun you know yeah. that's it doesn't get any better than that so and Seth himself as a person is just like, like you talked about Craig, when you have a conversation with him, uh, Craig certainly has much more of the kind of like Mr. Evening suave, like, you know, over a dinner kind of thing. But Seth is incredibly funny conversationally as well. Like he's it's, never it's, not joking. It's crazy how talented he is. And the thing about Seth is he's the best writer. He's obviously... absolutely the most gifted artist, like he drew those family guy characters and wow. created them. Yep. He's the best voice person yeah. ever to work in the history of totally. cartoons for Agreed. sure. Yeah. He's a good actor, a yep. good host singer. Yeah. He's a, I, thank you. That's where I was going. He's a very mm-hmm. talented singer. And so it, it, it was, inc- it's incredible to, you know, when I got the chance to work at family guy and he was at the table reads and he would, at the table read, do a like three or four person scene with himself seamlessly switching between Brian, Quagmire, Peter, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, go through this scene. So you're watching a live performance of the scene as you will record it with no yes. break. As he's doing this, he's taking notes on what he likes or doesn't like in the script and coming up with suggestions that is better than a room full of writers. And wow. then as he's doing this, he is also loosely drawing on a yes. sheet of paper next to him a comic drawing of the executives, which he hands out as a souvenir at the end to them oh yes. and gives the script to the head writer and executive producer and goes, here are my notes, and then leaves. Like, it, it's wow. stunning. Like, it's the guy stunning. is Mozart. And, I know. And wow. he, one thing I remember is we were at his house can't remember if it was for Ted 2 or the Western or what. Um, and we were playing him that footage of the aerobics championships from yes. 1984. Yes, and it, Crystal it, White. Yes, and it had that theme song. Do you remember how it went? Yeah, it's like... They... Anyway, so it has this theme. So he's he's dying watching the footage. And maybe 10 hours later, like close to midnight, we got a text that was the 1984 Crystal Light love theme. And what he had done was he had taken this song and rearranged it on piano as almost like a George Winston-esque yeah. Love Fugue. Do you remember this? Yes. And so he had clearly just taken hours of his day and elegantly played this theme on piano in a way that was genuinely touching and just texted it to us as a joke. I know. In spite of the fact that he's like a friggin' billionaire comedy yes. genius and has a million other things he could be right. doing. And so... Might be busy, you know? Yeah. Just he's, so talented, so funny. He's so dedicated to comedy. Like, I remember on the set of, of Ted, um, and because he, you know, I, I think of myself as somebody who has a lot of references at the ready in terms of, like, stuff from the 80s and, and 70s and stuff. Yeah, uh, but in he, lieu of a personality. He, Right. right, exactly. That's I'm just like a weird mimic absorption. Yeah. To prevent vehicle. anyone from actually getting to know you, you have references. Oh, at the God, it's funny when the things slip out that I that other people say about me. But um, so Seth, Seth has like a thousand times more references than I do, and much and is even more, more unknowable. Than <laughs> right. Anyways, go on. Yes, true. So in much more detail, and so we were sitting there on the set of Ted 2 and he had the video editing people who were off to the side. They spent like a whole day putting this thing together that Seth just had in his head from like uh, the 1982 file <laughs> where it was, it was a woman from the movie Poltergeist, the an mom? actress, an act, no, an actress oh. named Beatrice Strait, who was like one of the people who was like one of the videographers in there. And she had big glasses <laughs> and red hair, but there's a moment in the, in the movie where she says, Yes. <laughs> like that. And he just had that in his head. And then he connected that to, in Star Trek II, uh, Ricardo Montalban, who plays Khan, there's a moment where he goes, no. <laughs> and so he, he had this video editor put together this thing that was just them saying that back and forth, where they're going, yes, no. <laughs> and then we just sat there and laughed at it through dinner. It was like, it was just a pointless comedic exercise that was so hilarious. It was also, when you were really filming funny. the Western, 
he, without telling anyone, he went up to his room after these 18-hour days or whatever and created a novelization of the Western. Yeah. And wrote it. Yes. He wrote he a book while directing a movie. I know. Wow. I know. He's, it's crazy like that. And, uh, you know, so he obviously, everybody listening knows who he is. We have worked with him for a while, and we thank him for being a savior on the list of saviors. I, I wanted to just briefly throw in the name David Goodman. I know we, we've got him here. Moving on. Moving on. There he is. Because <laughs> David, okay, so David was the showrunner of Family Guy when I first started there, and that was in season four. And it was kind of, I feel like, Family Guy's sort of most triumphant period when he was running the show. He was a guy that, and Goldie, you and I have, We've mentioned this before when we were talking about, and this will be, I'm sure he'll hate this comparison, uh, Meryl Steubing. Okay, (laughs) so he comes from that era of when a boss was to be feared. And I was scared of David for the first, at least full season that I worked there. And it wasn't because he was an asshole, because he was not. But he just, you know, he was a... A kind of a no-nonsense boss in that role. And, by the way, he wrangled Seth, wrangled the 20 personalities in that room, and was able to put together what I think are, you know, many of the top 10 shows in, in Family Guy history. But for me, in terms of being a savior, he just, over time, over the first couple of years, it became clear that I could talk to David about anything. Uh, whether it was in my personal life or at work, you know, whatever it was, I could talk to him about it. He would sit there and listen like a, a wise, you know, King Solomon. And he he was just a good uh, resource for me as I was kind of, I hate to use the word blossoming, but <laughs> growing, growing as a writer. Let's say growing as a writer. So to have David there... Uh, as someone to talk to and also someone to, to, cause now, you know, I'm running that show with Rich. And so just thinking back on some of the shit David did, I don't think I really ever do it that often, but no, I think no, sometimes absolutely that, not. What would David do? Yeah. No one thinks of you that way. <laughs> I know. No, I know nobody's no, afraid of me. I know you're not. No, I, I mean, Goodman is, is someone who, well, not on the level of the people we've previously discussed, um, <laughs> no, he's he's an incredibly generous guy. He's someone who's clearly been 60 his entire life. Yes. With that level of wisdom, curmudgeonliness. He's got yes. he's a great writer, incredible sense of humor, fountain of useful anecdotes, like yes. rabbinical in these teaching moments and also, yep. you know, personally what he's done for both of us and every writer with his work in the guild. He's you know, essentially brought the guild into this century in terms of practices, and he did not have to do that. No, no, and I I know that took a toll on him, and it was a lot of time and and effort spent, and he was not very popular for a time. I mean, he was in incredible shape before he started doing that stuff. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I shouldn't laugh at that. No, you're right. Um, But, yeah, no, he wasn't popular because, you know, the Guild was in this big war with all the agencies. And and then it was sort of seemed like, well, what are we doing? Why is it taking so long? It's not working. Well, guess what? It worked. He got it done. And, uh, 
you know, he he got us money back that was rightly ours. So uh, he's to be congratulated. Also, he has a, I will add that he always had a bowl of uh, Star Trek ships on his desk. A bowl. He's a, he's a big Star Trek nerd. He would I'm eat sure. them throughout the day. <laughs> yeah, it's just consuming, oh, yeah, little snack, little snack, little snack. <laughs> that was something he would say a lot. If you'd bring a snack into the room, he'd say, oh, little snack, little snack, little snack, little snack. He likes to repeat things like that. But let's not shit on him because it's sliding not, that way. But he would like this. <laughs> I hope so. He'd be like, Can you I shit do on me, yeah. Yes, please. We, we, okay. we were I just doing want to add together. one in, in brief. Okay. This, is, this one's, you're going to have nothing to say, which is part of the reason I'm doing it. <laughs> Good. Uh, Jared Hess, uh, the director of Napoleon Dynamite, Nacho oh, Libre. Yeah. Yes. Uh, when I got Making History, I was fortunate enough that someone of his caliber had an interest in directing it. And I did not realize how much I didn't know till I got around him. And he never once made me feel stupid for not knowing anything about locations. That's amazing. Uh, lighting, photography, uh, acting rules, how things are shot, how the camera moves, VFX, editing, Color correction. I mean, this guy was is is an encyclopedia of knowledge. He's he's got that thing Seth has where I mean, no one even knows what an incredible impressionist he is because he doesn't do voices right. professionally. But he'll sit and for an hour regale you as Werner Herzog, an not hour. wanting you to listen to a tape. I mean, he, he you would love him. Seth would love him. He has the same comedy nerdiness film nerdiness and he just is the most generous person with his time um you know ran himself into the ground for for this show uh 20 hour days constantly flying back and forth to where he lives in utah and he has so much integrity um that no one on the set would dare fuck up because you wouldn't want to disappoint jared I mean, no one gave, rightfully, no one gave a shit about me because I was running scared the whole time. But from the first day, he just set a tone of like, hey, I'm a, if he can be nice and everything's on him, then yeah. everyone can be nice. And yeah. it's, it's something that's hard to do. And, you know, I, I just have such respect and affection for him. That's very well said. Well said. And, and yes, I, I had nothing to say there, but all I, all I will say is that there is a Napoleon Dynamite statue on the Fox lot, and that's yeah. an accomplishment. That is an accomplishment. Wow. That yeah. says something. They don't give you that when it fails. No, <laughs> right. no. So good it's for you, It's not like Jared the Robert has. E. Lee, like, nice try no, statue. They're going to be taking the Napoleon <laughs> Dynamite statue out with people protesting. It's about time. Um, anyway, uh, that was very nicely said, Goldie. Yeah. And um, I think we can uh, move into our... Unless did you if have you didn't anyone? hear your name, that means you didn't mean anything. To yeah, <laughs> sorry, everyone else, yeah. meaningless people. All right, and now I think it's a good time to get into this week's top five. Top five. God, I love that. I cannot believe that it's us singing, but it is. We should just it's... do that professionally. Yes, I, agree. I know. Why I aren't agree. we doing more of that? That is amazing. Okay, this week's uh, top five. Was fun. We 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 changed it up a little bit halfway through, but uh, I think we we got this one uh, buttoned up. Hopefully, this this week we're gonna do top five marriages. 
of TV or film. So top five married couples of TV or film. This was a fun one to think about. Uh, does anyone want to go first? I'm happy to if uh, don't care. Yeah. I'll go first. Cool. All right, Goldie, go ahead. Yeah, why not? Uh, so number five, I'm going to pay homage to our friend Gary Janetti and the extraordinary coupledom of Vicious. Oh, that's awesome. such a great call. I love that you did that. God. Between Derek Jacobi and Ian McKellen, the repartee of this show is incredible. I don't know where it's streaming right now, but watch it. It's I think it's, it's on PBS. Yeah, okay. it's great. It's unbelievable. Awesome. Okay. Uh, number four, Columbo and Mrs. Columbo. Oh, it's so good. I wish I had thought of that. God, that's great. You never see her, but that's great. No, but you just know she's always on his mind, haggling him about something, but not in a way that's, you know, causing him genuine agita. There's genuine affection there. Such affection. I remember one uh, episode where he's got to call his wife and ask her what to pick up for dinner on the way home. He's saying, I'll get Chinese. And she's saying, like, no, you can, don't worry. I'll. You tell me what you want. I'll pick it up. <laughs> I'm hanging up now. I'm hanging up. I'm hanging up. <laughs> like, then he just hung up. It was great. Uh, number three, and this is to make up for a sin in an earlier podcast of, of absolutely botching something. Tim and Dawn Tinsley. Mm. Oh, that's good. From the British office. British. That's yeah. good. Is it? Can, we, Although they just, weren't married. So. Yeah, we're assume we're assuming that they probably did. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm giving that's that. That's the part that made it difficult. I think. Figuring out their men yeah. when they got yeah. clearly I just let myself off the hook. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, but that's that's a great couple too. Boy, I, these are none of the ones I have, but they're also great. Number okay. two, Friday Night Lights, oh, Coach yeah. and Mrs. Coach. Yeah, and I kind of believe they're married in real life. I know. I can't. Totally. It's upsetting that they're not. Yeah, they should yeah. be. They really should be. Yep. Whatever yep. they're doing, they should just break it off. <laughs> Get yeah. together. Yeah. Get together. Be a to real sh- family. Yes. They just they just need a shaky camera around them yeah. at all times. They're gonna be good. The depressing lights of Texas behind them, flat on the yes. ground. And, and number one, and I'm I'm going to them because at one time or another, every marriage resembles this for better or for worse. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Richard Burton oh, and Liz Taylor. Wow. So great. We're Shit, capturing I forgot the, about that. the madness yours, of coupledom. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a were great. fantastic call. It's time to play Get the Guests, Martha. Um, <laughs> yeah, y- your list was much more positive than I expected, but I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Um, what do you think, JC? Um, sure, I'll go. Go for okay. it. Okay. Um, okay, so my number five is, um, I think it was a one-season show, but I loved their chemistry. Uh, Brad and Jane from a show called Happy Endings. It was Damon Wayans oh, Jr. Yeah. And, sure. Um, no, that show was on for like three years, I feel like. Was, oh, no, yeah. yeah. Maybe, yeah. I, Cult yeah. hit. Uh, yes, yeah. and I thought Case, they were Casey hilarious. Wilson. Yes. They were yeah. hilarious. I, I, everything they did together, their chemistry is amazing. Um, number four from the show Lost. 
Sun and Jin, I have to have my, the, the way he, I don't know if you guys watched that show, but the way he sacrificed his life to save her. At oh, the, oh, spoiler my, alert. Well, now I won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you don't cried? know which time, but I, I cried at anything. You cry? If you cry, I'll cry. Like, I'm just a cry. <laughs> I mostly cry at sports and TV, so those are the, those are the Yeah, things. that's that's me too. <laughs> um, my number three which I have to thank you guys for encouraging me to watch The Sopranos. Yes. You're welcome. Yes. <laughs> yes. Tony and Carmela. Oh, so great. Um, Edie not Falco. Even... Yes, she's amazing. She might, she's amazing. She might be the MVP of that show. Yeah. And I, she's yeah. fantastic. And I haven't even finished the series, and I still feel that strongly about the two of them. Her wardrobe is incredible. And in her show. hair and makeup. <laughs> it's, it's, Absolutely. They nailed it. Like, great. All of the... They like... Toe the line of a ridiculous outfit yes. without uh, quite crossing over. Yeah, like reality. She, she plays everything just pitch perfect, and she has so much to play. You know, whether she's uh, in love with the that contractor, you yes. know, Victor, oh, Victor oh. Fusco. I felt that. <laughs> like that is, or, or if she's watching Tony have a temper tantrum and and changing from like yes. backing off to like you would talk to a child, or yes. she's embarrassed or by when, something. Um, his mom dies at the, and they insist to have a funeral, and she's just like, I can't oh, take that, this. <laughs> that. That is one of the best scenes in the whole yes. series. That that Janice's memorial service yes. for yes. Livia, and like yeah. she says, like, "How about you, Hesh?" And like Hesh's yes. face is like, "What?" <laughs> she didn't mince words. Yeah, and I think she used his real name too. So I was kind of lost. Like, who is yeah. she talking about? Yes. The yes. the obliviousness after aid disappears that they all have, knowing that oh, their God. husbands are in the mob. It's like, yeah, oh no, she but just... you you. You can't you can't talk about that stuff that far ahead for JC. I'm just gonna pretend like I don't know what you're talking about, or I do. Well, I'm you blew pretend. lost for me, so this, this <laughs> was an intentional same. reprisal. Not it's okay. I actually same. forgot what you just said. Yeah, good, <laughs> good. You said somebody got AIDS. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, okay, so number two, um, yes. I was. I hated any type of movies with like romance movies, romantic comedies, ro- all these romance movies until I saw this movie, yeah. The Notebook. So <laughs> Ali and Noah, it, they warmed my cold, cold heart oh, that's so great. <laughs> to start to understand like, oh, these movies are actually kind of sweet and heartwarming and made me cry. So oh, I will put them number that's two. That's nice of you. <laughs> Hey, Goldie, it sounds like we got a girl in the room. I've actually never seen The Notebook. Neither have I. And I refused to for years, and I was like, you know what, I'll just watch it. And it just, now I'm like, oh, I love a a good old romance. I, I, even as a guy, I do find Ryan Gosling attractive. Like I can, I can <laughs> yeah. see why women. Are, are we that. about to be hit with the Titanic? That's all I'm. No. That's my big question. No, are we about I to get Jack you. and Rosed by No, her? no, no, okay. no. My number one is Tammy and Coach Taylor Friday Night yes. Lights. Oh yes, <laughs> great call. Smart, smart call. Okay, here we go. I'm gonna race through mine. As I see Tall is calling me on the phone. She needs the microphone. Here we go. Top five marriages in movie and TV. Number five, uh, De Niro and Sharon Stone in Casino. Yes. I thought of that. Yes. Nice. Good call. When when he's throwing her out of the house and stuffing money in a bag and goes, here, (laughs) is that enough money? Oh, my God. Of course you love that. That was unbelievable. (laughs) Okay. So then number four, and I've talked about them before on the show. 
Basil and Sybil Fawlty from Fawlty Towers. Oh, yes. Hilarious. There's literally, they hate each other with such comic, comedic poison. There's a scene where she has an ingrown toenail and she's in the hospital and he's there checking on her and he's looking at the toenail. He goes, how's the toe today? I'm still gnashing its way through your flesh. You know, like it's just so happy that she's hurting. Uh, it was very funny. Okay, here's another one. We're, we're on the negative theme here. Jack and Wendy Torrance from The Shining. <laughs> One of the great <laughs> married oh couples. God. It's like when you see him, when she walks in and just wants to give him a sandwich when he's writing <laughs> and he goes off the rails. Like, if you see me writing in here, if you don't see me writing in here, whatever the fuck you think I'm doing in here, when I'm in here, I am concentrating. Oh, my God. Perfect. Okay, so number two, we you talked about it, Tony and Carmela. Soprano. Yes, soprano, fantastic. Yeah. Yes. And number one, like you said, I went nice. You have to coach and Mrs. Coach. Yeah, wow. Friday Night Lights, this is the baby. First time, right? I, I mean, that that warmed my hat. Yes. That warmed my cold northeastern hat. I yeah. mean, I just want to point right. out, no one went Edith and Achie. And I, I know I had them as number five, and then put Brad and Jane. Yeah, I couldn't. I just couldn't pretend that I was as into all in the family because I just I was a little too young to have ever really watched them all um yeah, that's a all right point. but that this is great. the first time fun. all three of us had the same number one no I Goldie think, right? wasn't number one wasn't number with, one uh, oh, but I, I'd number also two. just like to give us all credit no one said Sam and Diane which would have been so hack right yeah. <laughs> oh little ditty about Sam and Diane <laughs> no friends in there in no none. friends not Ross and Rachel right no um, no no they were very annoying all right well let's let's get let's get into the final part of the show before I get my ass handed to me let's yes. get in to high note <laughs> thank you Tom Gamble that will never not be funny I'm predicting it now <laughs> All right, I'm just going to do, I'll do my high note first quickly, uh, and it, it has to do with what we talked about at the top of the show, which is, it's, of course, it's very sad that Norm has, has died, but, but just the high note is Norm's work itself. And in particular, I want to shine a spotlight on one thing, which is you can look for it on YouTube if you type in Norm MacDonald, Courtney Thorne Smith. It's okay. an interview that he did uh, on Conan where uh, actually he was the first guest. Courtney Thorne Smith came out as the second guest and he just stayed a part of the interview and kept interjecting just <laughs> top, like top class zinger after zinger after zinger. I think it is the best talk show TV segment that I've ever seen. Wow. And I watch it about once a year. So that to me, if you, if you listen this far, Please go and YouTube this after the show, and wow. you will laugh your ass off. So she that's went to my, my high, high school. Note. Oh, I didn't. We right. weren't there at the same time. Yeah, right? cat fight sounds like a little rivalry there. <laughs> yeah, look at that that blonde <laughs> white girl. Yeah, <laughs> right. Everything handed to her her whole life. She's actually older, so you know. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, there you go. You got her. All right. So, what what are your guys' high notes? You want to go, Goldie? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, um, mine is tennis related. Mm. The U.S. Open, we had oh, yeah. uh, a first-time Grand Slam champion after suffering a panic attack in the fourth round of Wimbledon, which forced her withdraw. She was the world number 150, came through challengers, won the U.S. Open without dropping a set, is now the world number 23. She's 18 years old. Her name is Emma Ratikanu, 
amazing um, athlete, and uh, she won the U.S. Open and is awesome. so great for tennis, women's tennis, everything. Uh, that's great. And Goldie, wasn't I telling you before the the, the whole thing started, look out for Radakanu. <laughs> you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Did you? No, no, oh. no, not at all. Stop. Not at all. Um, <laughs> all right, Goldie, what's your high note? I, I'm reading a book called Power Brokers, and it's about the formation of CAA, the agency, and Mike Ovitz, and it's enormously instructive for how some things in this business come together, or at least how they used to when there was a movie industry outside of Marvel. Um, yeah. But mm-hmm. it's it's really compelling. I just recommend it. Awesome. Awesome. Thank awesome. You. Now, I'm trying to think, wasn't there another book about CAA like a couple years ago that everyone was reading? It was like a 600-page thing. Is yours really thick? I don't know because it's on a Kindle, so everything's sort of oh, the same. Oh, got it. I read a book about... It's probably uh, this. It's all yeah. interviews. Yes. Yes. It's, it's fantastic. It's power brokers. Engaging. Awesome. Yeah. Engaging. I don't remember much of it, but engaging. Um, all right, guys, we made it through another week. Woo! Thank you. We made it through another yeah. week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, rest in peace, Norm McDonald. Yes. We loved you. We we still do. We worship you. Thank you for all the laughs. Uh, and thank you, two guys, for being awesome. And uh, we will we will talk to you next week.